Hello, and welcome to another episode of Setting the Tone, an ER retrospective, the show where we do a chronological breakdown of every episode of our favorite TV medical drama. My name is Elizabeth, and with me today, as always, are Lauren. Hello. And Daniel. Hey. Today we'll be discussing Season 2, Episode 19, which is titled Fire in the Belly. The episode aired on April 25th, 1996. Lauren, what was going on that week 24 years ago? We get more sports headlines, gang. Yay! Um, the Chicago Bulls set a new regular season win record at 72. The record would stand until 2016 when the Golden State Warriors won 73 games. But did not win the title. Yeah. Um, Hugh Jackman marries fellow Australian actress and producer Deborah Lee Furness. They are still together to this day. I thought that was sweet. Good on Hugh Jackman. And Primal Fear is the number one movie at the box office. And Because You Loved Me by Celine Dion is still the number one song. And this week we've got 32.2 million viewers tuning in. This week's episode is directed by Felix Enriquez Alcala, who we had earlier this season in Do One, Teach One, Kill One. Uh, This episode is written by Paul Manning, who previously wrote uh, The Secret Sharer and also Do One, Teach One, Kill One. So this is the second time we're getting the Alcala-Manning pairing this season. Um, And I'm not sure if I've mentioned it at any point before now, but um, I recently discovered um, in looking up that Paul Manning is actually no longer with us. Um, He passed passed away in 2005 of uh, colorectal cancer. So he didn't get to see the show end, which is sad, but just thought that was worth a mention. Fuck you, cancer. And we'll, on that lovely note, we will uh, get into the episode here. Uh, we got, we're gonna open with some audio for you. We got, you know, I cut off the sounds of the L that the episode actually opens with because, I mean, I love the sounds of train tracks clacking and stuff and such. But I don't know about anyone else. Just me. Okay, cool. Uh, but after so, how that, about that opening scene? Yeah, it's uh, we got Shep and Carol laying in bed, and Shep starts to wake Carol up and starts to get all lovey-dovey. Hey, Carol. Mm. Carol, I got an idea. Thomas. It's beautiful out. Let's call in sick. Take a day trip somewhere. Trip? Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll play hooky. We'll just jump in the car and we'll head north and find a lake and just sit there. Mm. I can't skip work any the hours. Please. Oh. The thought of having to cart around the wretched of the earth all day long with Riley yapping in my ear about his stupid beer can collection. I I can't. Not today. You go. You go. I don't want to go without you. I mean, that's the whole idea. I want us to get away together. Just go someplace where there, there aren't any sick people. Just... just cows. Healthy cows. Good cows. <laughs> Someplace where we can you know, make love in the grass. In front of the cows? Sexy cows. <laughs> uh, we could take a trip this weekend. Yeah. Well, I might be persuaded to be a little late for work. One, I love how he's like, we could go away and find a lake. You live on Lake Michigan, (laughs) dumbass. A more private lake. Whatever. Two, kissing sounds are gross foley and do not make good podcast audio. (laughs) 
That's all I got. Oh, they were being cute. That's... No, it's disgusting audio. Yes, that was very moist. You're disgusting audio. audio. I know. I'm sorry, listeners. <laughs> um, but yeah, how do how do we feel about this? All I can think about is sexy cows. <laughs> sexy cows. <laughs> yeah, her, I feel like her laugh there was very genuine. Like, yeah, that was a just a little laugh. almost snort. I I keep going through like seesaw of emotions with Shep. All Shep, all lives matter, man. <laughs> yeah, but like whatever just, whatever uh, goodwill he builds up here, he's gonna piss away by the end of the episode. Don't worry. Oh, very much. I'm I'm well aware, but no, I, I just I think it comes from the feeling that I think just Carol deserves happiness, and moments like this, you can almost see where they would be really good together, and then Shep is Shep. So, but he's, Shep has never Shep towards her though. Right. You know what I mean. Except for when he was like, "Oh, everybody who commits suicide is just asking for attention." Yeah, that's all. That's that's a that's the big that's the big one. But he never he's never violent towards her. He's never like he always tries to help her. I don't know. I think he's very misguided and he's definitely problematic. But I think his heart is in the right place. But yeah, it's a very cute morning, and like Carol deserves this, but she maybe deserves it not the shot. So then we go into the ER and we open up with Benton and Jeannie talking about the patient rounds. So Jeannie's filling Benton in on like who she has and who she's examined and everything. And one key patient that we're going to come back to is Mrs. Mendoza. She's been puking and and been having critical abdominal pain after a trip to Mexico. And Peter says he doesn't need to examine her and tells Jeannie to discharge her because he's guessing it's just a case of Montezuma's revenge and that she'll be fine. So... We'll see how that goes. What does that mean, um, anyway? <laughs> it's like, it's, it's, um, have you never heard that term? No, I never have. Is I've this my second that. banana? Th- I think this yeah. is your second banana, yes. Yeah. It's. <sighs> Obviously, I've seen this episode a couple times before this, so, like, I have heard it, but, like. I've heard, I've I mean, I've heard the phrase, but never in reference to a diagnosis, like. It, it's, I think he's using it as shorthand for just meaning really bad, um, essentially food poisoning from drinking the water. Mm. in another country gotcha okay especially in like mexico or central america but yeah so he's basically just saying no it's probably just like food poisoning you can send her home um but then we get a really interesting interesting scene with um hicks and peter talking because hicks lets peter know that he will not get to scrub in on a surgery because his colleague won't work with him due to the beef he had with doug and him betraying a colleague by telling Mr. Bowman the truth about his grandson's cancer. And Peter's like, well, do I have any other surgeries? Like, what's going to go on? And um, Hicks is just like, I think you're in for a chilly summer. Like, the fact that she knows this is going on and it's just like, yeah, no, you fucked up, son. I appreciate how much more Hicks we've seen lately. Yeah. I just want to note that. CCH Pounder's great, and I wish she was on the show more. Agreed. And I wish she didn't get bopped. Spoilers. <laughs> Spoilers for the future. Rawr. Please tell me that happens at least not not this season though. I don't think it happens Just be- this season, no. But Okay. I know I know okay. that her ending is not satisfying. I I'll, I'll say that much. Boo. Uh well speaking to other unsatisfying things, Harder and Carper have a date <laughs> Harder and Carper. <laughs> <laughs> Carter and Harper have a date tonight, and he won't tell Harper where it is. Uh, Jerry then immediately does Jerry things and spoils it for him by saying he has a message from the Moonlight Dinner Cruise folks, people at uh, on Lake Michigan. So go Jerry. 
So then as as we leave that discussion there with Jerry, um, Harper gets surprised by a new character, a guy named Dale, Dale Edson, uh, who is another surgical resident. He's a Harvard grad. Uh, Harper and Dale know each other from college. Uh, and Carter, who's on the other side of the desk, is clearly intimidated and jealous by Dale. Uh, Dale, I would... I, t- Dale is a tough one to describe. Um, I guess for lack of a better word, I would say he's Wario to... Carter's Mario like he's sort of (laughs) he's dark side Carter like he because he he's a very minor character in the grand scheme of things but he's like he's like gum on your shoe like you can't get rid of him he's gonna be around for um quite a few seasons here he's gonna be around until 2002 um but pretty sporadic like he's only this is his first of 15 appearances that he'll make through 2002 um he's played by an actor named Matthew Glaive uh, so we'll we'll see a lot of Dale as we go along, um, obviously a little bit more in this episode, um, but he is going to be somebody who kind of pops up just to be kind of a thorn in Carter's side occasionally. But we go right out of that little scene there into the intro with some more bangs. I just have to note, I can't help but hate Dale because I immediately see Matthew Glaive and think of his character in The Wedding Singer. <laughs> And I just immediately want to punch him. He's He's got a very punchable face. Like he has the kind of like smug dickhead look to him, just... He really does. Just generally. He really does nail it. Anyway, after that, moving on from there, after the intro, we have uh, our next audio for you. It's Doug and Mark having some bro talk uh, about Mark's dating life and the potential of a double date tonight. I don't know, Doug. You, me, Inga, Holda, and a Chinese restaurant. What's not to know? Inga's not really my type. That's what you said about Kathy Snyder. Yeah, well, I am going to get out there just at my own pace. The wise prostates don't last forever. Hey, Dr. Green, does this loan application belong to you? It's mine. Buying a car? No, you know that kid I misdiagnosed and coming out with his cancer treatment. Hey, Mark, I have to bail on M&M's this afternoon. Can you change the meeting? No, and I don't have a lawyer yet. All right, do what you have to do. Thanks, I'm on till 2. What's that? Ah, uh, she's meeting with a judge. Chloe wants visitation rights. God bless the child. Good morning, guys. Well, I'm sorry I'm late. Traffic was a bitch. Your prostate doesn't last forever. <laughs> Gross. <laughs> Quote Doug Ross. Oh, boy. 1996. Yikes. They have a lot of bro talk this episode. Yeah, this is a heavy bro episode for these two. Which is nice. I mean, we haven't really seen them do the whole best friend thing much lately, so this was kind of a good return to form. So then we go to Benton reviewing some case notes in the cafeteria and the surgeons he normally eats lunch with come in and he like sits up and is like, oh, hey, and starts moving the papers. And then they all go and sit at a different table. It's away fucking from high him. school. That's yeah. a high school level move. So he's getting frosted out real hard right now. Um, and then we go into Susan with her first patient, Mrs. Garvey, who is complaining of chest pains. Oy. Oh, my God, this woman. And um, any of you who've worked customer service know this woman in one form or another. <laughs> Um, and so Susan's going through the stuff and she notes and irritability because this woman is just complaining about everything. Um, everything is wrong and she is the medical equivalent of a Karen and Susan is trying to explain what's going on, says they're going to need to do an EKG and Susan, and Mrs. Garvey's like, well, what's that? What's that? Why do you need to do that? What's that? What's going on? What's that? Why are you putting that there? They get through the EKG. It is abnormal. And this woman is just fussing and asking Susan to explain everything. I don't understand. Explain it again. Slower this time, with pictures. 
I will say she does a very good job of of playing the Karen part because she nails it. Yes, That's... she really does. Mrs. Garvey here. She's played by an actress named BB Besh, uh, who had roles in Star Trek: Wrath of Khan, Steel Magnolias, and Tremors, among other things. And unfortunately, this was one of her last on-screen appearances in anything. She passed away about five months after this episode. Uh, she was um, well, suffering from breast cancer. Well, now I feel like a dick. I'm sorry, <laughs> but just no. Uh, but you're right. We're watching one of her last great performances. That's what it is. Oh God. Well, and she did a wonderful job with it. So it's true. I mean, she is very good at it. She might not be likable, but like she's good at being unlikable. After that, uh, we go into some more audio. Carter is talking with Benton about not having an appendectomy, which is kind of an odd procedure, I guess maybe because it's so, so simple. Maybe so standard. Yeah, yeah. I guess. But uh, but not leading one, he basically is resentful of the fact and asks Benton if he can lead the incoming trauma. So, And we actually have the audio of the trauma, too, because, oh boy, Carter, baby, come on. <laughs> I may be the only fourth year in the country who hasn't done an appendectomy yet. Uh, I doubt it. Well, I'm about to start my residency and I'm three steps beyond the curve. GSW to the chest coming in. ETA, two minutes. Let me run the code. Carter. No, I'm ready. And I need the experience. All right, everybody, listen up. Carter's going to run the code. All right, everybody, down up. What do you want us to do, Carter? Uh, Malik, you start the IVs. We have IVs from the field. Scratch that. Malik, you scribe. Man, I don't want to scribe. Do it. Okay, A, airway. Dr. Green will intubate. <laughs> B, breathing. Halle, call respiratory. Tell them to get their ass down here. Chuni, you set up the Dynamap. Aye, aye. C, circulation. You, on the uh, rapid infuser. D, disability. Benton. Dr. Benton, check the DTRs in the Babinski if that's okay. All right, what's left? Foley. All right, who wants to hook up the Foley cat? You're the only one left. What's going in? Gunshot wound. Dale, hook up the Foley cath, and uh, Harper, just jump in as needed. They're here. All right, man your stations. Female found down, GSW to the chest, traumatic full arrest. Heart sounds. No asystole, gave atropine to the field. Oh, man, she got it right in the heart. Let's get the rapid infuser going. Let's get some egg down, and let's get a gas cooking. Let's move it, people. Long enough going. Flatline. Let's go with the epi. Five milligrams IV push. Pulse ox? 40. 40? That's the lowest pulse ox I've ever heard. Where the hell is respiratory? You know, she looks kind of stiff. Let me see. Look, her jaw won't move. She looks really cyanotic. Boxcar's in the eyes. Let's get the O-neck going. Let's go. Should we even be doing this? Pickman, how long was she down? Could have been a long time, but I thought I should run her in. From the degree of lividity, I'd say she's been dead at least three hours. Let's move with the O-neck. Let's go. I agree with Dale. All right, let's call it. No, I want a cracker. Time of death. No, I'll do it. Time of death. 1032. There was a, a bit of a racial slur after that, just FYI, so oh. if you're watching the episode. So. But yeah, poor Carter. He tries. That's kind of the theme he's... of the episode with him in this one. He tried. Yeah, I guess what I find really funny is that as he's going through, he's like, A, airway, B, breath sounds, C. Like, just I, like, I love that he's ordering her. everyone around, like, you do this, and Malik's like, no, I don't want to. And he's like, well, just do it anyway. And he does this for everyone in the room until he gets to Benton. And then he's like, you do this. I mean, if that's what you want to do. Like, yep. <laughs> he immediately, like, backs down when it gets to Benton. So then we cut over from there. Um, we the So the son of the woman they just called time of death for um, was brought in with the paramedics. Uh, hasn't said a word pretty much since they picked him up. They think that the son saw the whole thing. So he's kind of, he's basically borderline catatonic. Um, he's got a total, like, thousand-yard stare as Doug is trying to examine him. So we'll, we'll come back to this kid a few times over the course of the episode. I don't think he ever does speak. Um, 
but we'll we'll get sort of the resolution on this as we go um, but we cut over from there um genie uh comes and finds Peter, wants him to come quick for uh, Mrs. Mendoza, the Montezuma's Revenge patient from earlier. She uh, was sent home at Peter's direction uh, earlier in the episode, uh, but now she's back, and Peter is now suspecting that it's her appendix. Uh, This is another kind of through-line patient that we're going to be dealing with throughout the episode, and uh, it's not great. It's not great, gang. Nope. Peter gets a a dose of humble juice this episode. Humble pie. (laughs) Humble pie, excuse me. Maybe he got the juice. Maybe he got the juice too. Uh, so Ben, yeah, Ben's gonna get a big, uh, big old slice of humble pie this episode. Uh, but after that, we uh, go over. Weaver comes in and tells him to clean out the body from the trauma room because uh, the AV team, AV team, needs to set up in there so they can start taping the traumas and better critique themselves. So I know we're in a pre hippo world still here right we've established that that's not like till like next year to my understanding because i I was gonna say because this seems like a huge hippo violation if you're gonna make videotapes well you would certainly like you would certainly have to uh get patient consent if you but i mean with traumas that's harder because generally if they're coming yeah that's more what i was thinking yeah it was signed into law august 21st of 1996 it was introduced okay. to the house on march 18th okay. so it's so it would have been introduced right like now. yeah okay but we are pre-hippa yeah and mark is uh less than thrilled about the idea but apparently morgan stern thought it was a good idea because he signed the he signed off on it so yeah because morgan stern's useless ass is never down there exactly poor william h macy this just makes my day. So Carter walks into Mrs. Mendoza's appy appendectomy and screams, gown me, and then is mad that Benton won't let him do it. So he leaves. <laughs> He's just like, fine, bye. And then um, as there, as Carter leaves, all of a sudden we found Mrs. Mendoza, her appendix perforated and her abdomen is full of pus. Not great. Gross. It's kind of the opposite of what you're looking for. Why do we have appendixes? I th- appendices fuck, fuck if i know i feel like they've recently and i'm totally talking out of my ass here but i do feel like i recently read something where they've sort of discovered what the appendix is for and they're kind of walking back the whole vestigial organ classification that the appendix mm. has had forever that it's this like leftover thing from evolution that we don't need but i don't remember the specifics of it and i could be completely making that up so don't mind me kids um <laughs> so we go from there back over to our favorite Karen patient, Mrs. Garvey, who is uh, reading her own chart and making notes on it about how awful Susan is. Um, she basically the results of her EKG came back. They were abnormal. So she's at risk for a heart attack. And Susan draws her a very helpful diagram illustrating this where she's basically just like drawing all these like zigzag lines all over the the page where she's drawn a little picture of a heart like you could die, basically. And as she's doing this, in just beautiful, like, quintessential Karen fashion, the lady, like, immediately, like, retreats and kind of, like, clutches her pearls and is like, you're a sick woman. Like, uh, yeah, she's the crazy one, not not you I being wanna, a fucking lunatic in the bed. I want to point out the diagram that Susan draws as a circle with some lines on yeah, it. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's... It's not even a heart. It's just it, a circle. It's not high concept art. We'll say that. But it gets the message she scribbles across. all over it. 
But we cut over from there to, again, back to the little boy who witnessed the uh, gunshot wound uh, of his mother. Uh, And a detective is in the room talking to him. And he's still, the little boy's name is Jeremy. um, And he's still got, like, the thousand-yard stare on it. Good, honestly, good acting job by this kid. Because, like, he never blinks, never so much as comes close to breaking. Like, kudos to that kid. Kid's horrifying. He really sells it. Um, And Doug comes in and kind of scurries the... uh, detective out and pulls him aside and is just like you could really have fucked this kid up even further like he just witnessed something very traumatic he's practically catatonic and you might have just set him back uh months so the detective basically just sort of like shrugs and is like my bad dog like <laughs> doesn't really show much contrition for that but yeah so we'll come back to jeremy and then after that uh we have carter he runs into harper got it right that time and ask about her history with dale uh, turns out they fucked once, <laughs> like you do. Um, Chewy tells Carter that a guy needs a rectal, persuades him to say, and uh, persuades him to say it's an abdominal pain and could be surgical. And Hale asks, uh, "Where's that cute guy from Harvard?" And then Carter immediately jumps on it because he's thirsty for some procedures. Mm-hmm. Uh, and jealous is a really, really shitty look on Carter. Yeah. I, I, I didn't like it when it was him and Chen, and I don't like it anymore now. No. no, and I should point out, um, Chuni asks Halei where the cute guy from Harvard is because she's trying to play Carter into ah, yes. taking the thing. So Chuni just plays him like a fiddle, and yeah, jealousy's just shitty with Carter. It's it's one of his ugliest looks. It causes him to be the worst human, or the worst version of himself rather, is when he's acting out of jealousy or spite. And then actress Joanna Gleason, whose character name I cannot recall, is back as part of the AV team setting up the trauma room. Um, Iris? Is that her character's name? Maybe? That's sure. We'll go with that. Um, She's still trying to get Mark to be on the um, blood pressure medication commercial for baldness. And then, when Mark's like, no, I'm good, she tries pushing another one on him for an exercise. Because she's like, ooh, you feel like you work out. You're lean. How much workout do you do? Do you want to market the exercise? And he just kind of was like, I'm good. And then... Um, but he also kind of goes like, eh, eh, he's like, eh, I'm good. Pretty pretty girl touched my arm. I'm good. <laughs> um, and then Carter is taking the abdominal pain case to Hicks that he just got from Chuni. And Hicks asks, does Benton let you do appies? And Carter just lies through his teeth and goes, we've talked about it. And Hicks sees right through it and goes, there's a first time for everything. So Carter's going to scrub in on an appy with Hicks. Okay, he didn't lie. They have talked about That's it. True. Fair. The he subject has correct, come up, but the best kind of correct. You know what I mean. Yeah, uh, but we go back over. Ben is working on his uh, appendix uh, surgery. Uh, the woman's temp is up to one hundred four, and you know we see through the blinds that uh, Carter is just sort of like <laughs> <laughs> waving like an idiot. And he he's being Carter. He waves proudly at him, and uh, you know someone says, "Peter, isn't that your med student next door?" and uh, but the woman that he's working on is crashing, and I had a lot of feelings after this episode, or after this scene, just because, like, I came very close to having this be me uh, back in 20, what was that, 2016? Time has no meaning. Yeah, twenty. Yeah, a few years ago. I don't know, the scars are kind of faded, but yeah, my appendix was, was giving me issues uh, that required surgery, and the gist of it, I don't know if I've told this before, but the gist of it is that you know, through my own stubbornness and through some ineptitude of the ER staff at the hospital that I that I ended up going to, uh, 
they initially didn't want to operate and didn't even consult the surgeon on it initially. And then, uh, which led to that delay and me getting, you know, a life-saving operation and having my appendix removed, which was pretty obvious what was going on from anyone with a pulse. But after the, but when I woke up and the surgeon came and saw me a couple hours, a couple hours later, um, after I woke up, he was like, yeah, yeah, yours was, yours was like just on the verge of about to burst. Like there was already some stuff starting to, starting to leak. So now Lizzie, why did you go to the hospital? It's all Lauren's fault that I'm alive. <laughs> it's all Lauren's fault. Yep. I was having a perfectly good time riding the L in agonizing pain. And <laughs> I had to step in and say, no, if it's your ab- if it's your abdomen and it's hurting this bad that you can barely walk, you need to go to the ER. And I still had my appendix at the time. Then, yes. Thank you, Lauren. <laughs> You're welcome, listeners. Also, I would like to note that Benton asks them to shut the blinds yeah. when Carter's waving like a moron. <laughs> So then we go and we we see Susan is walking past Miss um, Garvey's room and we look in and we see Carrie is talking to Mrs. Garvey with a giant whiteboard to explain what's going on. And on this whiteboard, there is a draw and like an immaculate drawing of an actual an- anatomically correct heart with all of this vocabulary and everything written on the board. And then Carrie just says, excuse me, walks or Mrs. Garvey says, there she is because she sees Susan. Carrie walks out takes Susan aside, does her little thing. And I think she's really well-intentioned at this point. I think she's honestly trying to be a mentor here. But it still comes across in that Carrie way early on that we want to, like, just, ugh, Carrie, can you not? Because she just goes, she basically, it boils down to, you have a tendency to become anger-locked and inflexible. Call me. I'm here to help. It's like when dealing with a difficult patient, if you find yourself getting pissed off, call me. I've got your back. But she just says it in such a Carrie way that we're like, really, Carrie? Really? You're this perfect at everything? And it's the last thing Susan wants to hear, too. Yep. But we go back from there back to Carter's uh, appendectomy with Hicks. She's coaching him through it every step of the way. Um, the But it turns out that the appendix is actually healthy and fine. No no appendicitis uh, to be found in there uh, in the patient who we find out his name is Mr. Kennerly. Turns out Mr. Kennerly actually has a toothpick in his small intestine, uh, which is uh, a gross and b uh, not as not as dire as appendicitis. Uh, Carter removes the toothpick uh, and holds it up to the light, <clears throat> to which Hicks replies, "Congratulations, Mr. Carter, on your first toothpickectomy." Bless. Um, I love how cute she says it. And then um, we have Benton talking to Mr. Mendoza about how sick Mrs. Mendoza is with her burst appendix and how they've put her on a high course of antibiotics to try and help, you know, deter the bacteria that flooded her system because the the appendix essentially just houses awful bacteria. Um, and then Mr. Mendoza is blaming Jeannie for the negligent discharge, saying that they never even saw a doctor. So he's content to just be like, that woman, like, barely saw us you know she let us go could this have been caught this is all her fault hmm 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 about that we'll see how this goes yes uh we'll come back to them soon but for now uh we go over to carol and shep shep made a little cute balloon uh face man <laughs> thing for uh out of a out of a disposable glove uh for the kid who's in shock jeremy and they go to Go to give it to him, and Jeremy's gone. 
panic for a minute and they find him at the end of the hallway just staring at his mom's dead body and why would you just have her body like that in an open room uncovered yeah like she's just like in a fucking closet basically like at the end of the hallway like uncovered and with like blood all over her and her in a tube in her throat and just like why well i think i think to the second point of that i think um because technically her body is still part of a crime scene so they're not allowed to remove any of the tubes or clean her up at all because they could be destroying evidence um but you could at least cover yeah it. i would i would think maybe they would at least but even that i suppose could disrupt certain i don't know that i'm trying to justify it but like I know at least the second part, for sure. They, or, they can't or he, hear me out. Shut the door. Yeah. Boom. Keep keep the kid Boom. away from it first and foremost. Yeah. Shut shut the door, and if it's part of a crime scene, you should probably have that door shut and locked. Yeah. So no one tampers with it. Boom. Yeah. We we solved the problem. We did it. So yeah, uh, it's not a great situation. Carol uh, immediately kind of ushers jeremy out of the room uh pawns him off on malik um we then but we don't get any time to really process that because we immediately cut over from that to shep bringing in a uh, homeless gentleman who was found out on michigan avenue uh zonked out of his mind he is very high on something uh so we'll we'll, we'll get a little bit more of him as we go along here um, but we cut over from there quickly to uh Susan, who is trying to get out to get to a meeting with her lawyer, um, so she's saying, or to her court date, rather, uh, saying she's got to get out of there, so she asks if the team can finish up the guy in uh, exam room four. And another quick beat here, uh, Doug has something dropped off for him, and surprise, it's $25,000 in cash from his dad. Right as he's trying to get some money, how convenient. Plot twist. Hmm. Yeah, and he's like, oh, this is bullshit. Like, of course, he's just trying to make up. This is what he does. Um, and then we have Joanna Gleason, a.k.a. question mark Iris, <laughs> asks Mark if he wants a bite to eat. And Mark's like, yeah, that'd be nice. Okay, sure. And then Benton and Jeannie are talking again about Mrs. Mendoza and Jeannie's initial examination. And Benton just puts her down and is like, you should have known to, like, have me examine her and blah 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 and you didn't make it clear and just totally trying to lay the blame on Jeannie and Jeannie snaps back with no it's your job to examine her you told me it was fine I asked if you wanted to you said no like no so Jeannie stands up for herself and I'm very proud of her for that here I I love fiery Jeannie it's a good time and then we have Carter and Hicks talking about the pyramid system, which is going to be in place for the surgical students and residents. And surgical interns who fall in the lower third of performance bracket will not be asked back. So it's even more important for Carter to be a Weasley little nugget to try and get all of his... <laughs> I couldn't think that's, of a word. Uh, that's a um, good description. For him to be a weasel to try and get his surgeries up. And after that, uh, we go over Carol is working with Shep on the button guy and the button guy starts choking carol oh no and i we should clarify button guy is the um the homeless man that was found on michigan avenue yes um and shep pin, manages to pin the guy down and block his throat with his forearm hmm. and uh, the button guy has no pulse shit and then he wakes and then they bring him back and he wakes up and then immediately punches shep in the face as shep is mm. digging through the crash cart yeah did anyone else have a very, like, visceral reaction to that scene? 
Mm-hmm. I was like, oh mm-hmm. no, dude, can you please not be the most topical character every single week? Like, Jesus Christ. Yeah. yeah. Like, can we just not, can yep. I not relive every day of the last three months uh, through this one shitty character who's gone by the end of the season? Like, good God. Yep. Good thing he got punched. Yeah. I guess yeah. so. The other thing, too, is Carol reaches in to try and help him and get him off of the guy, and he, like, wheels around on her like he's about to hit her. Yeah. Well, and he momentarily, like, has her in a chokehold. Like, he, he has his hand, like, around her throat, and that's what really sets uh, sets Shep off. No, no, no. I mean Shep. Oh, oh, like, with Carol. Like, looks like he's about to wheel yeah, on he's Carol. Yeah, he's got yeah. some anger issues, I'm sure. Uh, yep. I'm sure exacerbated by his recent trauma. But yeah, just a little amped up. Um, then after that, uh, we go over. We have some more. We have some more audio for you. Uh, Susan is running to the courthouse and meeting out her dad out front. Hey, did they call us in? Oh, relax. We still have a few minutes. Where's mom? Uh, she went to Northfield to see Sally. Call that one right. Well, this is very upsetting for her and for me. You have to choose between your own daughters. It's not right. What do you mean? I'm not going in. Dad. I don't want to take sides. For three weeks, you have been promising to back me up, and you decide to change your mind now? You haven't spent five minutes with Chloe. You haven't met Joe. Unbelievable. I'm telling you, your sister is like a new person. She went out and got a job the first morning. She insists on paying for the food. Joe is a good guy. Did you check his rap sheet? He's a cop. What? first red flag yeah i was, I was like, like it's like that doesn't that doesn't make it better that doesn't automatically make him better there but cops are always so well adjusted guy. yeah and don't have a high track record of domestic violence at all no not at all yeah. especially well we don't know this about him yet but especially uh recovering alcoholic cops yeah. Yeah, yeah. so we get we do get here with uh susan's dad I, what i imagine i don't know this for sure i didn't fact check this but what I, we get what i imagine to be one of the longer um gaps between appearances as a character um uh the actor playing uh susan's dad here paul dooley this is his last appearance as susan's dad for eight years he would return but Whoa. it would be eight years from now wow how do we feel about him uh bailing on testifying on susan's behalf i mean you can kind of understand where he's coming from like he really wants i can imagine you know as he really wants chloe to succeed yeah, I mean he's still he's a when dad. She seems to be doing foremost. so well. Like he wants he wants the best for all of his kids, you know, but yeah, I mean he's he's definitely the the lesser of two evils when it comes to Susan's parents. Like her mom's her oh, mom far. sucks cookie. way more. But uh who we have seen the last of. We we get no more cookie, but uh dad like he's he's doing his best. Like it's it's just messy. He's a sweetie. And then, oh, God. And then we get uh, some more bro talk after that. Oh, there we have audio for you. Uh, Mark and Doug are, once again, talking about their double dating in, and Mark reveals some surprise, uh, surprising fact. I'm not going. Look, it's all set. Inga's counting on you. I'm not going. There's a problem here. I was married for 11 years. Uh-huh. We face suddenly with dating again. Okay, you're overthinking this. You just got to follow your id. It's more complicated than that. No, it's not. Okay. What is about to pass between us must remain in the strictest of confidence. Okay. When I first met Jim, mm-hmm. 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 Uh, when you 
you first met Jan? I never had sex before. Right, you were 17, right? 16. Mm-hmm. And through all those years, I've always been faithful. Mm-hmm. Wait, are you, wait, are you telling me that you've only had sex with Jen? That's so unusual. <laughs> In the 20th century? Uh... <laughs> Yeah, you're right. See, I'm a freak. But, well, that's a little strong. No, no, it's true. I've only had sex with my wife. And thought of being intimate with a stranger. I. What if she can't arouse me, or you know, I can't please her? The thought alone scares me to death. And... Well, you're right. Ing is not for you. Uh... <laughs> I have so many complaints about this fucking conversation. Yeah. Doug's an asshole. A little bit. A little bit. But we do get just ever so much Clooney chuckle. And, like, I want to bottle it. That is true. This is toxic masculinity at its finest. Yeah. It's not great. But I guess, you know, good on Mark for it actually being confirmed that he was faithful to Jen Mm -hmm. all these years. Something not every husband can say. It's just so awkward to hear him say, what if she can't arouse me? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Nerd Mark is definitely coming out. (laughs) <laughs> coming out there <laughs> yeah, a little bit in a cute way. But, but he wants Doug to be a supportive friend and Doug's an asshole. When we go from there out to the admin desk uh, where Jerry is answering a call about an incoming 16-year-old domestic violence trauma, uh, which Carter takes great interest in uh, because he would like to, he, he's still in his hyper-competitive mode, but uh, he was told that uh, Dale has dibs on the next trauma. So he slyly tells Jerry on his way out to page him in 10 minutes and then runs off to our next scene where uh, Harper and Dale are looking over a pulmonary edema x-ray and Carter invites them both to lunch and uh, insists that they go up to the cafeteria, uh, which we will get the resolution on here in just a few minutes. Um, then we uh, cut back over we to Susan. Uh, have a little bit of a longer audio clip for you, but in true ER fashion, it's all good stuff. Um, Susan's speaking with a judge in, about Chloe in front of Chloe. So, awkward. On October 10th, 1994, Chloe was arrested for drunk and disorderly conduct. At this time, she swore that she would seek treatment. Six months later, she was arrested for driving under the influence. Dr. Lewis, we are here to explore the possibility of you and your sister settling this without the court's help. I take it you're not interested. No, Your Honor. And on the issue of visitation rights? No, I don't trust her. Based on? Based on her history of drunkenness, addiction, and false claims of rehabilitation, as outlined here, I have a copy. Chloe, is there anything you'd like to say? Well, everything Susan said about me is true. But I've never stayed in rehab more than a week before now. And you've been free of alcohol and drugs for? Five months. Um, Here are the uh, urine test results. You've barely started taking responsibility for yourself. How do you expect to take responsibility for a child? I ask myself that a lot. But I am on the right track now. And I never, ever want to go back to who I was. And I feel that with the help of God and my friends and my family, that I can be a good mother to my baby. And you've been employed as a claims adjuster in Phoenix for the past four months. Here are the affidavits. They're holding a job for me, and I got a job here. Um, Could you step outside, please? I want to speak to Dr. Lewis alone.
I am going to allow your sister three overnight visits a week, starting tonight, pending resolution of the adoption issue. What's more, I'm telling you now that if you proceed with a custody fight, you will lose. Chloe's the mother, and as far as I can see, she presents no danger to a child. Given that, I want you to consider the cost of proceeding. Not just financially, but in terms of the disruption to your life, to Chloe's life, and to the baby. Do we think Chloe's changed? I mean, she definitely, by all appearances, should seem so. I get where Susan's coming from, though. I get the skepticism. Yeah. No, I absolutely, I, I absolutely see both sides of it. And I think that's very solid advice from the judge. Like, just telling her, like, straight up, like, no, you're going to lose. Yeah. Don't waste your money here. Don't waste your energy here. You're going to lose. Like, there's nothing for, there's nothing to be done here. It sucks, though. Like, I mean, I, I, I knew that, I knew that an... that's where this storyline eventually goes. But, like, there was still some part of me that was just like, because she's so close. Like, she has it pretty much in the bag. And then Chloe decides to show up at the last minute. And it's just like, ugh. Your heart breaks for her. So then we go to Carol is stitching Shep up after his punch in the face. And Shep is complaining that he and Carol should have gone away to the lake instead of coming into work. And then he says offhandedly, we're not raising our kids here. Glad that was an even discussion. And Carol was like, we're not? Okay. Ugh, Shep, come on. You went one step forward, four steps back today, my buddy. And after that, we uh, move on to uh, Ben checking on Mrs. Mendoza. Uh, Hicks is giving him, giving Ben a hard time for not examining her, and you know when she first came in. And Ben just lays down the quote: "Nothing in the PA's chart suggested appendicitis." And Hicks immediately is like, "No, you fucked up. Like, are you a fucking like first year med student? Like, this is wrong. This is wrong. This is wrong. Like." You're fucking stupid. <laughs> and then she also hits him with, you are so quick to lay the blame on Doug Ross, but when it's your ass on the line, reap as you sow. Mm. Can we just keep Hicks for all 15 seasons? I wish. Yeah, I really wish. I mean, Anspa is pretty good. Anspa is pretty good. Yeah, Anspa but... is her analog. I think, is Anspa after after she leaves? There, there yes. may be a little bit of crossover, um, or overlap, yeah. rather. Um, but... Yeah, yeah I, I went and looked it up, and it, uh, Hicks leaves us in, uh, like, the very beginning of season four, like, very early season four. So okay. we have her for all of next season as well. So so we go from there to uh, Dale, Carter, and Harper's ill-fated lunch. Uh, Dale springs, <laughs> springs for buying them lunch, which uh, Carter is a little bit perturbed by, but then he gets his uh, requested page from Jerry so that he can run to lead the trauma and Dale is nowhere to be found. Very convenient. Uh, the patient being brought in, uh, his name is Virgil. Uh, Carter gets to do a lavage because uh, they think he's bleeding in his belly. Uh, Hicks, basically, I, he, he has like an unsourced uh, bleed. Like they're, they have to try to determine where the bleed is coming from and eventually they discover it's coming from like a tiny little pinprick, like ice pick type wound in his lower back very interesting trauma here um, but he's going up to the OR to get uh, get the damage repaired uh, and Hicks just tells Carter well looks Mr. Carter like you'll finally get to do your procedure so but then we have Benton and Mr. Mendoza um, talking again and Mr. Mendoza says I don't see any other doctor sitting by her bed all day thank you for taking care of my wife and to me this kind of screamed a little bit of Ruby 
the way this could have gone. But Benton instead fesses up and says, you know, hey, I wasn't totally honest with you. I'm the doctor who the PA consulted with. I discharged your wife. I could have caught it. This was my fault. And much with how Carter didn't fess up to Ruby until it was, you know, much too late. Like, this guy does sort of take it, like... We don't really get much resolution beyond this scene, but, like, he non-verbally sort of takes it like a punch in the gut, but then sort of, like, swallows his anger a little bit and just sort of moves on. Like, I feel like a similar type of reaction could have happened with Carter and Ruby, but Carter chose not to. So, you know, it just shows the differences in in the growth curve for both of them. So we go from there to uh, Susan dropping off uh, little Susie off at Chloe and Joe. Is that his name again? I've already forgotten. That's how that's how unmemorable yes. he is as a character. I believe um, so. Susan gives them little Susie's bedtime routine. Uh, they ask her if she'll stay for dinner. And, like, Susan is immediately sort of, like, reticent. She's like, I don't know. Like, I don't think that's such a good idea. Um, but Chloe and Susan's dad, who's also there, um, they kind of persuade her to stay. Um, Chloe says, you know, I think Susie, little Susie will appreciate you being here. She doesn't even really know who I am which just underscores kind of the the tragedy and the dysfunction of this whole story here. It's just like if you if you're self-aware enough to know that your child doesn't know who you are because you've been absent, maybe you should be self-aware to know that you should be better off with this obviously more attentive and caring parent, but it's just it's just bad. So then we have Carrie is using the newfangled AV technology to lead an analysis of the trauma with everybody conceivable in the room. Um, She points out Carter wiping his nose before grabbing the scalpel, and she rewinds and plays it like six times. He's like, the wipe and the grab. The wipe and the grab. And once more, the wipe and the grab. And Carter is just mortified. Then she's like, now... In comparison to that, and she's talking about, you know, how messy the utilization of space is and how everybody's hovered on one side of the bed. She's like, now in a much more organized and thorough um, trauma, let's look at the one led by Dale earlier that day. And she rewinds it and, uh uh-oh, guess who had a private conversation in this room earlier that day? Doug and Mark. So the entire confidential conversation that we heard earlier between Mark and Doug is played right after Joanna Gleason says yes to going to dinner with Mark. And then Mark flees the room petrified while Carol and Doug just crack up. And I'm just like, my God, you guys are shitty friends. Yeah, Carol in particular was kind of rude. This just seems like there's no, like, there's nothing but embarrassment to be had. Right. With this AV setup. Right. Well, there's that. And then the other thing I was going to mention earlier, but this was a better spot for it, is how good are the mics in there? Yeah. Yeah, Because right? like, they sound like they were completely mic'd up when that happened. Because Mark wasn't talking that loud when he and Doug were talking. So, hmm. So there's that. And then I love how Carrie's just absolutely confused. And she's like, oh, I must have rewound too far. It's like, Carrie, just hit pause. Yeah. Just stop Carrie. it. On the point of the mics, I will point out that earlier in the episode iris who i did look up that is her character's name uh she does make a point at one point of coming up to mark and saying that he is all wired for sound so Mm, i don't know about doug like that that is never established but at least green there is they there is like a storyline remark that he is wired for sound so that might explain that thank you daniel (sighs) thank you but yeah very embarrassing not great situation just all the way 
But we go from there to uh, Benton in the lounge uh, when Jeannie walks in to get changed and uh, head out for the day. Uh, they briefly discuss Mrs. Mendoza's condition, Benton owning up to his mistake. And Jeannie just kind of drops the bomb on him and is just like, Peter, do you hate me? Which is a valid question considering the fact that like, I would say their relationship has improved since um, they had their little fling and the immediate fallout of it um, over the last, you know, course of the season. But it's by no means back to any sort of normal, like she even points out like that he doesn't look at her when he talks to her. So his kind of body language is pretty poor here. So this is kind of, again, like we're, we're starting to get the wheels in motion for the next phase of this storyline here, which is um, spoilers, not any better than it has been before. Like the, this storyline doesn't get better, but um, nope, we'll be getting more on that here over the next few episodes. And a couple of quick hitters to follow that up. Uh, Doug has been denied the loan for young Bowman's cancer treatment and Mark and Iris go to dinner. And it's very sweet as they're walking out. Um, Mark puts his hand on her back. And, like, looks back nervously and, like, I can't remember. I think Jerry gives him a thumbs up. <laughs> Somebody does, yeah. And it's just really, really sweet. Like, it's it's just when a good Jerry's moment. Jerry's like, giving you team. the pep talk, the nonverbal pep talk. Like, you got this. You got this, slugger. Well, you know, rumor has it Jerry's into some stuff. That has not been established yet. But, yes, you're right. We'll get there. We, I'm sure that'll be. I'm sure we're gonna have like a three-hour-long pot episode <laughs> that about that. About that episode's that, gonna come about to a, a screeching halt. Here's oh, an important yeah. question: Do we get a special edition Team Jerry sticker for that episode, <laughs> featuring a gimp mask of <laughs> one of the, uh, the gag balls? <laughs> oh boy! So then we go over to Joe and Susan are discussing Chloe, and we find out that um, Joe and Chloe actually met in AA. He's a nine-year recovering alcoholic. And he mentions, you know, oh, veterans like me aren't supposed to date, you know, newcomers to the program, but we couldn't help it. We fell in love. And it's just very sweet. And he clearly thinks of the world of Chloe. And Susan's just like, I'll believe it when I see it. Like, she's like, no offense to you. I'm sure you're great, but I'll believe it when I see it. And, uh, oh, look, Carter, it's the consequences of your own actions. A favorite saying in our house these days. Exactly. My, my, my. We have some audio of Carter. Uh, wait, waiting for Harper at Navy Pier for the cruise. Hey. Hey. I thought you were going to go home and change. I did, but I changed my mind. You don't want to go? No. Not about the tickets. Well, normally that would bother me, but considering the occasion, I don't really care. What occasion? My dumping you. Dumping me? Yeah, and I got to tell you, I feel pretty good about it. What's going on? You know. No, I don't. I don't know. Get out of here. Look, we both know that you lured Dale and me upstairs so that you could do a procedure, which is all you care about these days. That's not true. Yeah, it is. You're a weasel. All that matters to you is making suck points at surgical residents. Look, let's go someplace in town. No. Huh? Harper, please. No, it's too late. I don't even know who you are anymore. Oh, I like that Harper calls him out on it, though. Yeah, he absolutely deserved yep. that. 110%. He's been a raging tool. So did anyone catch, this is completely independent of um, Carter and Harper here, but did anyone catch uh, our first appearance of a future cast member in this scene? No. No. Is it the mime? It is the mime. I didn't catch who it was. Yep. The mime is played by an actor by the name of J.P. Manu, who we will meet again in season 13 as Dr. Crenshaw. What? Yep. This is his first appearance. That's what. <laughs> this is his first appearance. Uh, 
no no telling if that's it's meant to be the same character i can't imagine that it is um <laughs> but yeah he will return in seasons 13 and 14 as dr dustin yeah. crenshaw yeah um we will not never be interviewing him for a bonus episode because uh, rather upsettingly he was charged in canada in 2015 with voyeurism uh, after allegedly recording two women who had rented his toronto condo big old yikes whoa buddy yeah no fuck that guy yeah maybe don't record people without their consent yeah that that seems like a the charges were eventually dropped but he was eventually convicted of a lesser charge so there's definitely a little bit of fire Ugh. with that smoke so so sh- so yeah. shit happened shit happened gross Ugh. i knew i hated miles <laughs> But yeah, this is the first appearance of what will eventually be a future like recurring cast member. I would not have guessed that. I don't think I would have either if I hadn't made the connection scrolling through the cast list. Like I was like, wait, I know that guy. Where? Why is he here? And then I dug a little deeper and yep. All right. So we're on the home stretch here, gang. Um, Carol and Shep are getting ready to leave. And as they're getting ready to head out, uh, the detective notes that Jeremy finally talked he was trying to protect his mom from his dad when his mom was getting beat up and he shot his mom on accident trying to defend her. And the detective's like, great shot, huh? Or bad aim. He makes some joke about the kid's aim, which is really shitty. And then um, Iris and Mark are sleeping together. They're just wrapping up the act. And Iris goes, I feel like I just plucked the virtue of a virgin. And Mark goes, I'm glad you did. And they have some really cute, like, banter and then they snuggle and potentially have sex again. And it's just very sweet. And I want this relationship to last forever. You just want to see more Joanna Gleason. I do. She's amazing. <laughs> well, you get one more episode. And she's, she's shh, let me have this. And she's, I think she's a nice fit for Mark. Yeah. Cause he needs somebody sassy and sultry. And I would have, I would have liked to have seen that, that, that uh, storyline continue a little longer. Why not? Yeah. But instead he gets a, he gets the goatee back and yeah, boy, we, we forgot to mention that for... like, the goatee died a quick death. Unfortunately, it didn't. Yeah. So did the, so did the contacts. <sighs> anyway, but uh, speaking of unfortunate storylines, uh, Shep and Carol are driving home, and we have some audio of uh, a, a bit of an, let's call it an incident, takes place. Carol, Brian, just thinking about that kid. He will never get over what happened. He will be, for the rest of his life, damaged goods. He'll probably end up like the butt man. No, he won't. Yes, he will. He is a button man in the making. Hey, what's going on here? Idiots. Unit 47 requesting police backup at 46 and Hutchins. A couple of guys bonking each other over the head with the Hey! Jeez! What are you doing? What's wrong with you, huh? Son of a bitch! So, you know, there's gross Foley work early in the episode with the smoochin', and now there's great <laughs> Foley work with the punching. So, I, I might have been wrong. Is this where he turns on her? Not earlier with Button Guy? Is this where he whips around and almost hits her? I think it's here. I can't remember. Either way, 
He's Chef's he, going through some stuff. He's he's having a very normal one. Um, he is <laughs> he is angry boy today. So yeah. lots of internalized trauma here. Yeah. Shep, come on. You can see the the thread starting to unravel. A little bit. A little bit. <sighs> but uh, then we go from there to uh, Doug stopping by his dad's hotel. Uh, Daddy is not there, uh, but his lady friend from a previous episode answers the door instead. Uh, oh, hi, Mark Helgenberger. Uh, Karen, in case you forgot her character's name, she answers the door, uh, brings <laughs> brings him inside, offers Doug a drink. Uh, real weird vibe between the two of them here. Like... I get the feeling we're going to have a ill-advised romance thing going on here. Like I, I kind of remember where this goes, but at the same time, I also don't. So I'm like interested to see how this works out. I know it gets wrapped up by the end of the season. So um, whatever it is, it's going to be quick. Another tryst, you, you might, might say. say. Yeah, it just it, it reads real weird with how she how she answers all his questions. But then we see Peter goes up and gives an envelope to Hicks. And Hicks is like, the fuck is this? And Peter says, it's names, dates, patients, everything you need, um, evidence on Vucilich's case fraud. There's no more excuses. You go, Peter. Do the thing. He, he ba- He's basically like, it was a lot easier to put it on the line when it's somebody else's, but it's a lot harder to walk the walk when it's your own career. He's taking her words to heart. You go, Peter. Wait, a character actually learning what? and growing? I know amazing when that happens well there's some learning and growing there's a a little bit in this next scene the final scene of the episode we have uh susan and chloe are talking about little Susie in the in in the kitchen she takes um four ounces of milk at night heated for 40 seconds at 50 percent okay i'm so glad you stayed i know everybody thinks you've changed chloe and I hope to God that you have, but forgive me if I'm not rejoicing just yet. Maybe I can't be objective because I've been so angry at you for so long. I mean, do you really think you can be a good mother to this little girl? Yes. More than anything, that's what I want to be. Well, I can finish up in here. I'm so glad Susie's got an aunt that'll always be there who's smart and a doctor. It's gonna give you good advice. Yes. Hey, you wanna say good night? Yeah. Yeah. Good night, sweetie. <laughs> Blackbirds singing in the dead of night. Take these broken wings and learn to fly all your life. You were always waiting for this moment to arrive. You were always waiting for this moment to arrive fucking blackbird chloe has such a pretty voice she does, she does. i'm here for I like it. the continuity that that's that that's little Susie's like lullaby song but yeah susan i think i say that the, there was some growth in this scene just because i feel like susan's it's starting to click for her 
after that real talk from the judge earlier, like, okay, I have to give her this chance, you know, whether I like it or not. Yeah. Let's see what she can do. And uh, just a quick little note, the final the final card of the episode is uh, episodes would dedicate was dedicated to Paul Letter, Mimi Letter's father, uh, who died of lung cancer seventeen days before this episode aired at age seventy. So I wonder I wonder if this has anything to do with her decision to leave the yeah, show. That's a good question. Mm. I wonder. I, so I don't know how I feel about this one. I was gonna say it's a very it's a middling it's, yeah, uneven. Yeah, it gets the job done, but yeah. eh. it it has. I will say in it in its defense or in its to its credit more so than some of the other like middling to not that good episodes we've seen this season it does more to further the overall plot than some other ones so I I would hesitate to say that mm-hmm. it's pure filler um but it definitely yeah. has some uneven unevenness to it um you know we we kind of went through this a little bit in season 1 too where Carter Carter being jealous Carter is a just kind of a generally a bad tone within an episode like it, it just doesn't set us up for success because it's just not a good look on him so that sort of automatically cuts you off at the knees a little bit I think um, but there's definitely stuff in here to like too so it's not it's a it's an episode I would hesitate to completely write off but um, but yeah not it definitely doesn't measure up to some of the other ones that we've had in this kind of late season renaissance i'd say a solid seven out of ten yeah i think that's fair six seven like i said it was solid got the job done moved some important things forward not one of my favorites but it was we're, fine. we're rounding that last turn we're coming down the home stretch of season two all right well that's about gonna wrap up our episode for today thank you all very much for listening the uh, show is brought to you in part by our patrons over at patreon.com slash setting the tone podcast. For only a dollar a month, you can get access to our show notes each week. For only $5 a month, you can get access to the full season recap episodes, a free sticker featuring our favorite desk clerk, Jerry, and two-week early access to all of our cast and crew interviews. Also, once our stretch goals are met, you'll get access to a monthly bonus show called The Lounge, where we'll talk about whatever's going on for us in our lives and pop culture in that moment, as well as monthly movie commentaries where we watch and talk about a movie featuring an ER cast member. We would also appreciate it if you would follow us on our social media accounts. We are at SetTheToneER on Twitter. We are on Facebook at Facebook.com slash SettingTheTonePodcast. And we are at SettingTheTonePodcast on Instagram. Our theme music is provided to us by Andrew Edwards of Blue Police Box Music. And Daniel, where can folks find you at? They can find me on Instagram at Dan.U, that is Y-O-U dot E-L. They can also find me on my other podcast, The Popular Court, with my co-host Jake Terrell. Take a different pop culture topic each episode and put it through a little mock trial. And Lauren, where can folks find you at? Folks can find me uninspired at my personal Twitter at lowbob92345. Sorry, gang, I don't have a good one for you this week. It's okay. Everyone has their off days. Um, you can also find me on Twitter. I am at randomgamer. That's J-A-M-3-R, as well as on the Popular Court's YouTube channel, doing a Let's Play series of Mass Effect Andromeda. Uh, new episodes that are out every Friday. And you can find those videos and more at youtube.com slash thepopularcourt. Thank you to everyone who has been subscribing and has allowed us to finally get the custom URL game going. Uh, Thanks again, everyone, very much for listening, and please join us again next time, and have a great week.